Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., what is the vision for your life? For <laughs> that is a very big question. J.J., do you I have mean, a vision? Where is this thing going? I mean, you and I developed my mission statement not too long ago, and <laughs> and I'm uh, I'm beginning to implement Apparently that. Apparently, you've forgotten it. I know. I know that very well, but vision feels a lot bigger. Like, it feels very grand and hard Are to Are you a natural? visionary yes you yeah, are i would so you say see things before they exist and you head toward them and make not, them happen honestly not in the same way you do mm-hmm. <laughs> i feel like you are a visionary like yeah, i would i like would 99 percent. i would not describe myself as a visionary i like to dream i like to think about like yeah kind of things that are beyond what a lot of people think are capable so i'm like kind of maybe i'm an optimist <laughs> more than yeah. a visionary i think you're a visionary like you really do see things you'll start talking about things six months before anybody else has talked about them even in our office and i'll go oh that i don't know and then two months later i'm like oh yes that was the only thing we <laughs> we should be that's talking because you got used to it <laughs> well but you but you've seen it before anybody else does yeah, yeah, and, yeah and i i am not that way um but i am i would say like an optimist and i kind of like dream about a lot of stuff but. i think do you think do you agree with me that there's a scale of being a super visionary which is probably where i'm at yeah and then no vision at all and yeah. i've actually noticed very, very high-powered CEOs in extremely large organizations, zero vision. Yeah. And they do a fantastic job often because they are there to actually manage an existing system. Yeah. In other words, the vision was more or less accomplished, yeah. and they are there. So if you think about Steve Jobs, yeah. would probably be a visionary, oh, yes. <laughs> taken over by Tim Cook, who is has visionary aspects, but he's much more of a manager and a leader. Yeah. And sometimes those things have to breathe. Yeah. But we all have to have vision. Yeah. And if you don't have vision, the thing will start to teeter pretty quickly. Yes. Well, Michael Hyatt has written a book called The Vision Driven Leader. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there about vision. But what Mike is so good at is creating really practical tools to help yeah. you figure out things. Yeah. You know, he's he's got worksheets and formulas for everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, for making coffee in the morning. Yes. He's got one for actually, for people who aren't very visionary, they can actually have a vision. Yeah. And so we interview Mike Hyatt today. I just absolutely love this conversation, but mainly because I love Mike and Gail and all that he's doing. Yeah. The book is The Vision Driven Leader. It comes out soon. But Mike, we actually went through some of the aspects of why it's important to have a vision and then some some characteristics that your vision needs to cover in order to actually inspire people and also be practical so that it can be achieved. Yeah. Sound good? Love it. All right, let's learn. Here's my conversation with Michael Hyatt. My old friend, Mike Hyatt, good to see you. Hey, good to see you, Don. I'm excited about your new book, The Vision Driven Leader. Thank you. I'm excited about it, too. Everybody knows you got to have a vision, and everybody talks about it, but there are very few people who have actually focused an entire book on it. it. It's probably the most important aspect of being a leader, and I'm wondering what made you say, okay, I'm going to tackle this. What you know, We all have three or four books kind of germinating one sort of it's like watching a horse race in the back of your mind one of them starts taking a lead and the other one like challenges that one starts, what made this one go we're, we're sprinting to the finish well first of all I think vision is the first and most important task of any leader because if you don't know where you're going if you don't have the, the destination identified how are you going to lead anybody to it because that's the definition of a leader you're leading people somewhere 
But the thing I discovered, Don, first of all, they don't teach vision creation in business school. I couldn't find Which, a single. Isn't that amazing? They don't teach much of anything in business school. Well, apparently not anything useful. But <laughs> I could only find two books that were written on the topic. And I thought, this is such an essential skill. It can't be that difficult. And really, it was the very thing that I used to turn Nelson books around back when I was at Thomas Nelson. Hmm. It's the thing I used to guide the company through uh, Thomas Nelson Publishers when I was the CEO through the recession. It's the thing that's allowed my company to grow over 50% a year. And I just know how important it is. We've, we've taught this to our clients. We've seen dramatic results when they get a clear, written vision. It shapes everything. Vision is important. Alignment's important. Execution's important. But there's a sequence. You got to start with vision. So if you don't have vision, you can't align people. If you don't have alignment, you can't drive execution. Everybody thinks that execution is the holy grail. But if you don't have a vision and if you don't have alignment, all you do is create a lot of sideways energy that doesn't achieve really much of anything that matters. Huge. Well, a lot of us, uh, you know, we're running these companies and we think we are leaders, but really we're acting like managers. And it's one of the first points you make in the book. What is the difference between a leader and a manager? And what does that have to do with vision? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so here's how I think about it. First of all, both of them are important, but they're distinct functions. You know, some companies, the CEO has to wear both hats. At Michael Hyde and Company, I have the luxury of being the leader primarily. And Megan, my daughter, whom you've uh, met, is our COO, and she's mostly the general manager. But there's four main differences between a leader and a manager. Leaders create vision. Managers execute vision. Leaders inspire and motivate Managers maintain and administer. Hmm. Leaders take risks. Managers control risks. Leaders stay focused on the horizon. Managers have their eye on short-term goals and objectives. And and again, both are important, but they're distinct roles. And I, I talk about in the book two examples. One, JFK, an example of a visionary leader who literally gave a speech about a moonshot, challenged the country to put a man on the moon and return him within uh, 10 years. I mean, not he would be up there 10 years, but to do this task within 10 years. And he didn't live to see it, but man, it inspired a nation. You know, we absolutely aligned around that and made it happen, although he got a lot of resistance um, initially. Then I talk about President George H.W. Bush. Great guy. I mean, everybody likes him. I don't think he has many enemies, but he didn't have a vision. Thousand points of light. A thousand points of light is not a vision. That's not a vision. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't make it happen. It's not a visual climactic scene. And let me point out this, Mike, because I, I say this a lot of times at our workshops. I say if, if John F. Kennedy would have said, We will create a space program that competes with the Russians and spins off research and development into the private sector that stimulates the American economy. He would have never been elected president. He said, we're going to put a man on the moon. You can see it. You can see it. It's a climactic scene. And once you plant that in my head, it makes me want to do it. It makes me want to. I've got to vote for this guy to see that climactic scene happen. Exactly. And George Bush didn't have that. Thousand points of light is hard to see. It's hard to see. It is hard to see. And and that's why when most people talk about vision, vision, they'll say something like, do you have a vision statement for your company? Which sounds like you've got to have this clever almost slogan thing that you could put on a coffee uh, cup or you could, you know, put on a t-shirt, but you could maybe do that with a mission. You know, our mission's short, memorable, everybody can recite it, but a vision's got to be more robust. So when I'm talking about a vision, I use the term vision script. You know, it's a clear, inspiring, practical, attractive picture of your organization's future, but it's a written document, three to five pages in length. It articulates an imagined future 
three to five years out that's superior to the present that motivates you, hugely yeah. important, yeah. and guides your team in day-to-day decision-making. That's a vision script. I love it. That's a robust version. Betsy and I, we are working on a plan to invite families, literally like families, to our home to help them figure out a mission for the family. And I literally just have them, literally a mission statement for your family. It's the same script. It's just fill in the blank. We will accomplish X by X because of X. We will build a community garden by the end of summer because neighbors should know each other. Just fill in the blank. Love that. Yeah. And it's amazing how much it unites a family that everybody's sitting there staring at their cell phone. But now that we've got to build a community garden by the end of summer, because my gosh, our neighbors don't even know each other and it gets everybody off their rear ends. All right. You talk about the difference, you know, and I just alluded to the idea. What difference does a vision make in an organization? What, why is this so important to do? Well, it's critically important because clarity accelerates momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, when you don't have a clear vision of where you're going, it's like every path, you know, can lead to it. And so people spend a lot of time generating sideways energy, a lot of missed opportunities, which, by the way, that other thing the vision does for you is it creates a filter by which you can evaluate opportunities and separate them from distractions. The more successful you become, you know this, you've experienced this, the more successful you become, the more opportunities come your way. Yeah. But unfortunately, a lot of distractions masquerade themselves as opportunities. And you can't tell the difference. I tell the story in the book about owning a publishing company back in the late 80s, early 90s that eventually went bankrupt. It wasn't because we didn't have resources. It wasn't because we weren't smart. We didn't have a vision. And we were overrun with our opportunities. So we started out publishing trade books. And then we went to children's books. We went to gift books. We had a huge Bible project. And we had our attention and our resources spread over too many things. And that ultimately caused us to fail. So the vision creates the alignment, the vision accelerates momentum, the vision gives you a filter. The vision is also a tremendous recruiting tool for getting the right employees and repelling the wrong ones. If people don't resonate with your vision, That's right. you know, it's great. Let them go work somewhere else. You know, I was at your house for a dinner once, and do you remember Rory Vaden was with us and, and some I other do. thought yeah. leaders? And there was just a young man on staff that I didn't think was going to work out. I kind of asked you, because we were all asking questions, you know, best practices and those sort of things. What do you guys think I should do about this? And and Rory said, clarify your vision. And I thought, well, that's a strange thing to say. He said, no, no, get away. Clarify your vision. Clarify your guiding principles. Make sure everybody understands them. And then he said, that person will leave. And I thought, I'm going to try it. So we did a retreat. You know, we figured out our vision or, you know, we had one, but we were, we, we sort of uh, brought it back to the surface and, and edited it and dialed it in a little bit more. Within three weeks, that person said, I think I'm going to go find another opportunity because it was clear that their life and, and the life of the company weren't compatible, but it wasn't until we defined what the life of the company was that he could actually realize he wasn't compatible. It's amazing how it works. I love that. That's one of the great values of having a clear vision. You know, just one of the things just to mention is that it really helps you to be resilient in the face of setbacks and failure. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a vision, because the, the vision, I've heard you talk about this a lot of times, Stephen Pressfield talks about it, but when you get a clear vision, almost immediately, you're going to encounter the resistance. Yep. And there's going to be the temptation to quit. But if you've got a clear vision, and if it's compelling, and you really uh, own it and are vested in it, it'll get you through that, what you've called the messy middle. You know what I, I also think is true? I think the opposite is true. One, I do think if you have a vision, 
you are going to face challenges. Nothing opposes muddy water, right? There's nothing yeah. nothing opposes jello. But you make that thing hard and concrete and, and people come up against it. The other thing though, in the in the very opposite way, it attracts resources. It does. When you actually say, We want to put a man on the moon, people come out of the woodworks and say, I want to be a part of that, right? I'm going to give to that. I want to donate. I want to volunteer. I want my product to actually be used. I want and people come out of the woodworks because they want to be involved in a great story too. Totally. You know, when Thomas Nelson went private, you know, we were a publicly held company, we went private. And one of my jobs was to go out there after we were bought. I didn't realize I was going to have to raise all the money for the leverage side of the <laughs> equation. Yeah. So I ended up in New York on Wall Street meeting with a lot of investment bankers, a bunch of bunch of meetings. And basically what I was selling to them was the future, not just what the company was at that moment, but what it could become. Right. But the thing about it was we this happened in about a week. We were you know, we syndicated our debt, which meant everybody took a piece of it. But we sold out all the debt that we had within that week. I had bankers begging me because they had bought into the vision. It didn't exist yet, but they were buying into a future that they could see. That's how powerful vision is. It attracts, like you said, the right resources. We are hosting a live stream of the StoryBrand Marketing Workshop on May 18th and 19th, and I'd love for you to be there. We had hundreds of people at our April workshop. And now, of course, we want to be very careful not to get into the same room and spread the coronavirus any further. We're going to do it again. We're doing it on May 18th and 19th. And listen, normal workshops are very expensive, but because we don't have to rent the room and we're not buying meals and we're not buying hotels and we're not buying flights for a lot of different people, we are able to pass that savings on to you. So it's one third the cost that it normally is. So if you didn't catch the first live stream and you want to catch the second, just go to storybrand.com. Go to storybrand.com and register right now. You will end up with a clear message and you'll know how to build a sales funnel. And listen, if you had a sales funnel when the coronavirus crisis struck, you were much more likely to survive because you could one, pivot your message and two, reach out to customers with a new offer. Anybody who had a sales funnel, that is email addresses they could email, were much more likely to survive. We survived because we had email addresses that we could send an offering to. I want you to survive the next crisis. And not only that, I want you to be able to rebuild your company using the power of a marketing sales funnel. We're going to help you build one on May 18th and 19th. Just go to storybrand.com and register today. Remember, it's one third the cost. Plus, you don't have to travel. You can just watch me live right there in your living room. Go to storybrand.com and register for the next StoryBrand Marketing live stream today. Well, another thing that you have to have, according to your book, and we're skipping a few, there's several characteristics you want to read about in The Vision Driven Leader. But one of the things is, does it inspire? Is this actually inspirational? And this is where I think so many mission statements, you know, you would really laugh at this, Mike. I bought this book, uh, 101 Mission Statements off Amazon. It might have well have been subtitled to put you to sleep because they were so, and I've always said, look, if Mel Gibson can't recite your mission statement while riding a horse and trying to get an army to fight, it's not a mission, right? Yeah, and the thing that point. I kept noticing about these mission statements are one, they didn't have a mission, and two, they weren't a statement, right? It was some sort of rambling sentence written by lawyers on behalf of shareholders. They didn't inspire. How important is a mission, an actual mission statement in blue-collar language 
written so that average people can understand it and say, I want to be part of that. Why does it have to be inspirational? Well, the vision script has got to be inspirational because first of all, it has to inspire you. It's got to be a future that you personally, as the leader of the organization, want to move toward. If you haven't bought it, you can't sell it. And if it's inspirational to you and you can get enthusiastic when you stand up and read it to your team or when you share it with uh, people that you need to enlist, you know, whether it's resources or whatever, it's got to inspire them. And I have four characteristics of an inspiring vision in the book. So I talk about, first of all, an inspiring vision focuses on what isn't, not what is. And I tell the story of Uber. So the founders of Uber were in Paris trying to get a cab. They couldn't get a cab. One of the guys says to the other guy, he says, wouldn't it be cool if we had an app where we could get a taxi to come straight to us? And we didn't have to futz around with, you know, paying the guy and all that stuff. Well, the rest is history. Uber is now the largest ground transportation uh, company in the world, and they don't own a single vehicle. It's amazing. But they, they conceived, they had something, what isn't? They didn't just try to come up with a better taxi company. They reinvented the entire category. Second, an inspiring vision focuses on the exponential, not the incremental. When Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone, he didn't just introduce a phone that had a better keyboard than the previous generation. No, he said, forget the keyboard. Let's get rid of the keyboard. We've got the ultimate stylus in our finger. And so it was an exponential vision. He was so ridiculed. I don't know if you remember this when he introduced I it. I do, yeah, I do. But like Steve Ballmer, head of Microsoft, said, I'll give it a year. It's a terrible idea. The mobile phone industry is saturated. Well, Steve Ballmer no longer works at Microsoft. <laughs> Steve, of course, is dead. But the company is like the first company to hit a trillion dollars in uh, market cap. Yeah. Third characteristic, an inspiring vision focuses on being risky, but not being stupid. So you've got to take a risk. It's got to be, and I've talked about it, this in previous stuff I've written, it's got to be in your discomfort zone. There's got to be some risk, but it can't be delusional. And then finally, an inspiring vision, and this is really important, Don, focuses on what, not how. Now, there's a distinction between hmm. vision and strategy. Vision is the what, strategy is the how. Everybody in, in business world, you can find a ton of books on strategy. You can find tons of courses on strategy. But here's the thing. Strategy is irrelevant until you have vision. So the Wright brothers are an example I give in the book. These guys were uneducated. They had no background in flight or aviation or anything even related. They were basically bicycle guys. But they had a vision for manned flight, and they figured it out. You know, the strategy became apparent once they got clear on the vision. And there were people that were much better funded, even by the government, that couldn't make an airplane fly. These two guys made it happen. So it focuses on what, not how. That's incredible. All right. It, it also, you know, we want it to be inspirational, but you can get so pie in the sky that it just isn't practical. And so these kind of work to to balance each other out. It has to be inspirational, but your book says it's got to be practical. How do we make sure it's practical? What's the filter or the test that we run through to make sure this thing can actually be done? Well, is it specific enough that it'll enable us to filter opportunities by providing a way to evaluate them? Mm-hmm. Can it drive execution by enabling us to connect the dots from our daily actions to our vision? And, and you know this from being in our coaching program. You know, there's like the vision script. Then there's the annual plan. Then you chuck it down to the quarterly goals. Right. And then to the weekly objectives. And then the daily actions. It's got to create engagement by connecting people's uh, daily actions to a bigger story. Because people get lost 
in the minutia of day-to-day activity. I, I remember at our annual team meeting in January, we had everybody together. And as I do every year, I read through the entire vision script. It took about 20 minutes, but I read it with enthusiasm because I really believe in this future that we're collectively trying to create. So afterwards, we had a customer service person who had only been with us about three months. She came up to me and with her tears in her eyes, she says, now I get why what I do is so important. I've never seen it before. Thank wow. you. Wow. I mean, that's that's actually affecting people's mental health at that point. Oh, my gosh. I, I so think people it, need a reason to show up for work. They don't. It's, it, money's not enough. Yeah. It's got to inform people's daily actions. They got to be able to look at the vision script and go, OK, this is what I need to do as a result of that. You know, it's funny. I, I use the analogy all the time of a basketball coach. And if you made a basketball team in high school or college and you show up for the first day of practice and the coach actually said, listen, here's the idea. Here's the vision. We want to score more points than the other team. Okay. And I'm going to help you guys. I'm going to hold you accountable to do that. I'm going to cheer you on. And if you don't do it, we're going to take a look at that. And we're going to look honestly at the score and we're going to try harder. Right. <laughs> that's the worst coach you could possibly imagine, right? There's, there's, that's, you're not coaching at that point. You're just being a cheerleader. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and unless it's practical and you actually – what the kid needs to hear is, I want your hand in that guy's face, the palm of your hand, three inches from his nose every time he tries to take a shot. That's practical advice I can actually apply. Let me give you an example. So from our vision script at Michael Hyatt & Company – and by the way – we encourage people to break down their vision script into four categories. First of all, the future of their team. Why? Because the team is the single most important component of your vision. Right. If you take care of your team, your team will take care of your customers. Your customers will take care of you. The team is the mechanism by which you achieve the dream. So dream is, or the team is the first part of the vision script, then product, then marketing, and then impact. But in the team section of our vision script at Michael Hyde and Company, one of the paragraphs is this. Our employees experience, and by the way, we write this in the present tense as though it were already happening or has already happened. Our employees experience reasonable autonomy, planning and executing their own work without the impediment of overbearing management, stifling bureaucracy, or procedural red tape. Hmm. So what does that mean when it comes to day-to-day activity? It means we don't have all these policies that gunk up everything. We treat people like adults. So when, for right. example, we have a no-hassle uh, software policy, if you think you need that app to do your work, buy it. We're not going to question you. We don't care. You're an adult. We trust you based on the vision. We don't want to impede progress. So do what you need to do. When you face resistance, when you actually put this vision into play and you encounter challenges, push back internally people not necessarily believing it's possible, all that kind of stuff, market pushback. How should you encounter resistance? What should you do? Well, I talk about three essential traits to effectively respond to the resistance. And there's a chapter on, in the book on this. I talk about, first of all, tenacity. You know, and, and that's just you know, the willingness to keep persevering. In fact, I love the way that Andy Andrews says it. He, d- he defines discipline this way. You know, can you make yourself do something you don't want to do for the sake of something you really want to get? <laughs> the same thing is true for vision. You know, can you make yourself persevere through something because the vision is so vivid and so compelling and that future is something you want so badly that you can be tenacious, that you can stay at it? You also have to have integrity because one of the things that almost always happens in the pursuit of a vision is there's going to be the temptation to compromise or to, you know, color outside the lines or to play in the gray zone, or to compromise your integrity. So I had this experience when I was at 
Thomas Nelson Publishers, when I was running a division, a division you published with, Nelson Books, when I took over that division, what I didn't realize is that that division was number 14 out of 14 in terms of revenue growth and profitability. We were actually shrinking and we had lost money the previous year. So I wanted to turn it around. So Sam Moore, the CEO, said to me, how long is it going to take you to turn this division around? And I didn't have a clue, but I pulled a number out of the air and I said, I think it'll take us three years. And he said, well, that's kind of what I was thinking too. You've got it. So I created a vision, went back and shared it with the team. Everybody got super pumped about it. And what happened was 30 days in, we had an author, our biggest book of the year, an author to whom we'd paid a million dollar advance, a book where we were expecting $3 million worth of revenue, and the book was at the printer. When I heard that this author had gone off the rails because of some things that she believes, some things that she were she was uh, espousing publicly that would have brought us into public ridicule, and we just couldn't be aligned with her. It was just outside our value system. Right. So I went to my boss. My boss said, well, you know how big of an investment we've got in this. He said, and, and this wasn't Sam Moore. I was reporting to somebody that was reporting to him. And he said, I think we should go ahead and do the book. And I had met with the author to confirm that this stuff that she was espousing was actually true. So he said, you probably need to take overnight and think about this. And, and basically what he was saying is you better come to the right conclusion and compromise your value system. <laughs> yeah. So I talked to Gail. Gail said to me, she said, babe, do not compromise your integrity. You've got to do the right thing. And even if we end up homeless, I'm with you a thousand percent. Well, that was the shot in the arm I needed. I went back to my boss. I said, look, if you want to publish the book, obviously you can do it. That's your prerogative, but I'm going to have to resign. He said, oh my gosh, you're grandstanding. Go back to your office and think about it. So I did. I told my assistant, pack up my, my things. I think I'm done here. Okay, get this. Like 30 minutes later, I get a phone call from Sam Moore, who was the CEO of the company. He was in LA on a business trip. He calls me and he said, hey, I just talked with your boss. He told me about this situation with this author. Give me the details. So I explained the whole situation. He said, what do you think we need to do? And I said, we got to pull the book. I said, this is going to compromise our integrity. He said, how much is it going to cost? What are we going to have to write off? And I said, well, best I can tell, it's a three and a half to $4 million write-off. And I mean, I said that with great fear and trepidation. Yeah. He said, do it. That's the right thing to do. Now, here's the other part of the story. This is where it got cool. So initially, of course, it was a great rallying point for that division. Everybody supported me. You know, it was one of those things where we, you know, we, we threw down on principle. My immediate boss wasn't too happy about it, but, you know, the CEO had given me permission, so I was good, and I ultimately ended up reporting to the CEO. But here's what happened. Now, all of a sudden, we're three and a half to $4 million behind for that same year. So it looked like, yeah, we had our integrity, but boy, were we behind. It was, gonna even, it was even more daunting now. But guess what happened? We turned that division around in not three years, but a year and a half. We went from number 14 to number one in sales growth. We went from number 14 to number one in profit margin. And I really think it was that resistance and our willingness to, uh, to not compromise our integrity that enabled us to really soar and to really achieve that vision. Incredible. You know, you talk in the book about some statistics on entrepreneurialism not being super encouraging. But vision cuts through that, allows us to differentiate and rise in the market. First of all, what are the statistics that you're looking at? And then how is vision the biggest differentiator? If you look at the Department of Commerce statistics, 80%, about a million businesses will start this year. Within five years, 80% of those businesses that start this year will be out of business. So 20% left. 
In the next five years, 80% of those will fail. So if you do the math all the way through, you've got a 4% chance of succeeding over 10 years. Much of that is because the vast majority of the entrepreneurs that start those businesses don't have a clear picture of where they're going. They don't have a filter for evaluating opportunities, for saying no to the things that they shouldn't be doing. And that's the value of having a clear vision. I think vision is the single biggest differentiator, the single biggest difference maker in terms of whether or not you survive and especially if you're going to thrive. You're preaching to the choir, Mike. I wish I could contend with anything that you said, but I agree with it (laughs) wholeheartedly. We've incorporated a number of these tools and it just makes an enormous difference. It really does. And the great thing is if you're not a visionary, because not all leaders are visionaries, Mike has some tools that will help you become a visionary and actually get your vision down. You can just fill out a script. Visiondrivenleader.com. You've got some special promotional materials just for my listeners. Visiondrivenleader.com slash storybrand. Mike, what will they find there? Yeah, this is awesome. So if if you get the book, and you can buy it at any retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever your local retailer, when you buy the Vision Driven Leader from your favorite retailer, you're going to get over $600 in bonuses, including... The Vision Driven Leader audiobook read by me, the ebook of my previous book, Free to Focus, the Vision Sharing Guide, which is basically a short course, video course on how to get your team on board with your vision and get them excited about it. You're going to get uh, access to a private Facebook group where we're going to do vision coaching calls in there to that group. And then a clear vision cheat sheet that provides se- uh, seven steps to kind of hack your way through this because, Don, Like you said, you don't have to be charismatic. You don't have to be visionary. What I've tried to do in the book is distill this, demystify it, and make it easy for the average person to be a vision-driven leader. It's my my contention that anybody can do this. So all you got to do is go to visiondrivenleader.com slash storybrand. All the bonuses are there. All right, Mike. Love having you on. I wish you wrote more books because you could just be on the show all the time. But (laughs) we can't expect that from you because they're all so good. Thank Thank you you so much for being a good friend, and thanks for being a friend of, of our listeners and being so helpful. You bet. Thank you. Make you want to fill out your vision statement, your vision <laughs> <Yes>. script. <laughs> Sounds really helpful. What I it? love is just the the simple guide rails. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it's like you know we talked about it in the beginning. I think when I think of vision, it's so big. Right? Yeah, it's like a little almost too much, and. Just the practical, almost like guide rails of like, these are the things it needs to include and these are the stuff you need to write down. Gives me something to like go, oh, that's not as hard as I think. That tool of, you know, much more simple than what Mike's talking about, but, you know, we will accomplish X by X because X. Yeah. If you just fill that out. Yes. You know, and the because part is the hardest part, but it's what are the stakes? What's not going to happen if we don't fill this out? We will accomplish X by X because of X. Just that. Yeah. Instead of a mission statement, just that will change your company and even your personal vision. Listen, everybody, music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep, Hushed on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.